Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast, episode 76. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Joining me today is SMA News Today fellow content creator and forum moderator, Deanne Rongi. Deanne, welcome back. Hi there, thanks for having me back. Absolutely, always a pleasure, and I'm excited. It's been a minute since we've done a roundtable like this. I know we had, I did several interviews um, this year already, and it's been really busy, but uh, but you know, really excited to have you back, and we'll probably we'll bring Michael back to this. If you're any listeners out there wondering where Michael's been, uh, it's been definitely a busy month here, a busy year so far uh, at our parent company Bio News. So he's been pretty swamped, and I wanted to kind of give him a little break here from the podcast. But uh, he, he'll be back, I'm sure, either in March or April, whenever we get a chance to record it together. Um, but until then, no, Dan, really excited to have you back here, and I think we've. Plenty to talk about. Uh, so today we'll be discussing so just some updates with the which with each other uh, in regards to you know our how we're managing life in the pandemic one year later and talking about treatments. Uh, we'll hit on some news first. There are several news stories I wanted to touch on, and also in this episode, like we've done before, we will highlight recent columns from our main website and discuss those. Uh, we have a lot of great content from there. Uh, two new writers, which we'll talk about. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, Before we get started, if everyone could please listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast was brought to you by Genentech, the makers of an FDA-approved treatment for SMA. To learn about our study results across different types of people with SMA, visit approvedforsma.com. That's approvedforsma.com. Okay. Well, Dan, let's start with a few news stories I have pulled up here. Uh, Again, there is quite a bit going on, and I encourage all listeners to visit our main website at smanewstoday.com where you can keep up with all of this. But I did want to highlight a couple stories, or three stories, actually, real quick right here. Uh, The first one, this ran on January 6th, and it's titled Higher Dose Spinraza Trial Now Enrolling Part B After No Safety Issues Found. And this is something we talked about on the show before and in on our other platforms. Uh, you know, Deanne and I have, well, actually, Deanne has switched to a RISD, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, um, you know, she had been on Spinraza for a while. I've been on it for a little over three years. And we've talked about on the show before how Biogen has been experimenting with uh, giving higher doses to patients who are already on the treatment. And that seems to be moving forward Um, I'll read just an excerpt from this article. It says in the lead, After finding no safety concerns in Part A of the DEVOTE trial, which is testing higher doses of Spinraza, Nusinersen, parentheses, among people of all ages with spinal muscular atrophy, investigators are now screening patients for the study's pivotal Part B, according to Biogen, the therapy's maker. Part B, which dosed its first patient last November, is aiming to prove the safety and efficacy of the therapy's higher dose. Um, so I think this is really exciting. I know, Deanne, you and I have discussed this before, um, and especially having experience with the treatment, it's, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about often is that when, usually after an injection, you get this boost of energy, but by the time it gets to be your next injection, you start to experience a lot of lethargic, uh, or lethargy and, um, just feeling really energy drained. And my hope is that with something like this, with a higher dosing, it would reduce the chances of that for people who are on the treatment. So, uh, Deanne, do you have any thoughts on this? 
Well, I know when I started Spinraza, I had the most gains while we did those loading doses when they were closer together. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming a higher concentration was in my system. So it's really going to be interesting to see if a higher dose will maybe have a similar effect. I think so too. And I know it's a really great point. I remember that same feeling as well, because uh, for listeners not as familiar with the Spinraza process, you when you start the treatment, you have four loading doses back to back. These are about like the first three are two weeks apart. And then the fourth one is a month after the third dose, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. And yes, you feel a huge energy boost, or at least I did and many others have. I, I realized that the treatment works differently person to person and there's no right. buy all and all, you know, um, some people take longer to really feel any effects. And that's, you know, that it's, that's just part of the game or part of the, you know, just how your body works and um, people yeah. respond to it differently. But generally speaking, yes, the, like the, during the loading dose stage, you feel a lot more gain initially. And then, like I said earlier, like I know when I get to that, cause after that, the injections are four months apart and once I get closer to an injection, yes, I feel much more lethargic, um, a lot more energy drained, and I, I my body knows when it's time for another dose, um, which, I mean, indicates that the drug is working, but, um, and obviously, it's, I, I think for most of us, it's it's not feasible to have an injection every two weeks, and so um, that's kind of, that's the only downside, and yes, I do think that with a higher dosing, it could really fix that problem, and be way more beneficial for especially us as adults where we're more susceptible to that fatigue and um that uh, lethargic sense and all that right yeah yeah it'll be interesting it will i'm excited so you know they um i said they're currently pushing forward with um part b and so we'll um keep you updated but again i do encourage listeners to check out that story written by forrest ray um, again, that ran on January 6th. And by the way, all the articles we're discussing today on the podcast, news and columns, we will have linked in the description of this episode. So please check them out afterwards, because um, we're just kind of touching the highlights here. So the second news story is this ran on January 18th. The title is Topaz Trial Results on Muscle Therapy Likely by June, Scholar Rock says. Uh, so for any longtime listeners here, Scholar Rock uh, and their treatment, which was previously known as SRK015. This is something, especially Michael and I have talked about quite a bit on the show. And Michael has uh, the most knowledge and insight into um, the treatments. And I'd really recommend uh, watching his videos as well on our YouTube channel in his show, The More Ally Monologue. He goes into much greater detail uh, on all of this information and this news. But again, Scholar Rock, we've been talking about their treatment for a while and i'm not even going to attempt to pronounce um the well i'll attempt but i'm i'm sure i'm butchering it um they've named the they've changed the name from srk015 to apitagromab is my best pronunciation it's a-p-i-t-e-g-r-o-m-a-b um i think no offense to pharma companies out there but i think they just draw letters out of a fishbowl and put them together and say that's the name of our treatment but um i think they look at their scrabble board and yeah. say, okay, that's here it. that that works i mean i that's my only logical explanation but hey it works so uh but it, it, I, i'm sure there's a lot more logic behind it. i'm sure there is but for those of us who are not um it, like directly 
in this world and behind those scenes that's all we can imagine so um but hey maybe we'll get to interview someone from scholar rock eventually and they can guide us through the pro the name process here um but but anyway uh so again this is a treatment we discussed for a while the big difference between scholar rocks therapy uh, or experimental therapy right now it's obviously still in the clinical trial stage but um compared with the other existing treatments like spinraza zolgensma and evrisdi this one works at the muscular level, which is a pretty big deal for the SMA community because uh, the rest of the, the other therapies in existence are more designed um, as like a maintenance drug. Not that you don't see, patients don't see huge gains from them, but they're more designed to slow the progression of SMA rather than um, provide like increases in strength. This one is more designed to do that. And so um, let me read again just uh, this excerpt from the article. It says, efficacy and safety results from the Topaz Phase 2 trial evaluating apitagromab, a muscle-directed therapy for spinal muscular atrophy, being developed by Scholarock, are expected by June, the company announced. 2020 was a transformative year for Scholarock with positive interim data from the Topaz trial, providing initial proof of concept of epitagrom's potential in SMA, Tony Kingsley, president and CEO of Scholarock, said in a press release. Again, this isn't, you know, like a, a gives, it doesn't really give any indication as to when the drug might be potentially FDA approved, but it's an indicator that it is moving forward in the clinical trial stage and it is showing really positive results. Um, so it's, this is definitely one we'll be continually talking about. And again, yeah. it's, it is really exciting that there, that's one being worked on um, that works at the muscular level. And the other thing I'll say about this story is, Currently, they're um, testing the drug on people who are already on Spinraza. So, um, and this is something I'm sure Michael will talk about in his videos and on the next podcast whenever we have him on, is that um, I, I, that some people are considering switching back to Spinraza if they're on Evrisdi. And um, the reason being that because Scholarock's drug is being tested on Spinraza patients, there, there is a benefit, you know, to like, um, I'm not saying this to, um, influence anyone's decision or to, you know, be any kind of PR for either company. I'm just stating the facts that, um, some people in the SMA community are of that mindset. And I mean, that makes sense. So I don't know. The combination therapy mm -hmm. aspect is really interesting and it'll be interesting to see if it will be exclusively a combination therapy with Spinraza or if Everest D will be included in that. We just don't know right now. Absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, combination therapies are something that have been discussed really ever since Spinraza was approved. And even before that, I think it was always, you know, as drugs were being developed, um, because I mean, while we, these therapies really only came out in the last few years, they've been, you know, they've been worked on for long a time before that. And so, I think researchers were always in the mindset of trying to work toward combination therapies. And that would be the ultimate goal is, you know, not make it exclusive to one or two therapies, but to um, make it accessible for, you know, uh, for um, like this new drug and Evrisd and Spinraza. And again, like Dan, like you said, I mean, we don't know if um, that will be a possibility, but if that will be a possibility, but I'm sure it's at least being discussed and, it's something, you know, as soon as we find out more about, we'll definitely, you know, let um, all our listeners and readers know, of course, 
Uh, but it, it's just, it's a really fascinating conversation. And, you know, I, I, heck, I remember at an SMA conference a few years ago, um, at a Kira SMA one, the only one Michael ever, ever attended because it was in his hometown, you know, he actually asked that question during a research panel, uh, about, yeah, I remember that. yeah it was like, you know, he asked that specific question. It was like, you know, is there something being worked on to work at both the cellular and the muscular level simultaneously? And it's really fascinating to see that, yeah, that actually is being talked about and um, actively worked on. So it'll be really interesting to see where this goes from here. Yeah, it's a fun time in science, for sure. It is. I mean, for a person like me who uh, was not scientifically or mathematically gifted, you know, growing up, I feel like I know more now than I ever did and have become more interested in it. Um, you know, I, I mean, and because it, it, it is fascinating and this is, uh, and it's something that, I'd say is not only relevant toward the SMA community, but toward other rare disease communities out there. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's as more treatments are coming out and it's a really fascinating time to be alive and to witness all of this um, going on. So it's, it's a really, it's really cool. So the, um, Deanna, any, any other thoughts on that? I think we covered it, but yeah, it is uh, fun to see what's coming about in the last few years. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and uh, the final news story, this um, t- uh, shifting gears from treatment updates, this is one I'm really excited about. And as I'm sure many listeners know, I'm very active with Cure SMA um, outside of BioNews, um, which is the largest SMA nonprofit out there. And we've Cure SMA has been doing a lot of online programs, particularly since COVID started. And that's been, I'd, I'd say, one really positive benefit to come out of this entire crazy year and pandemic. But one of their upcoming uh, programs is a new series of career panel webinars uh, starting on February 16th, which is actually the day that this podcast goes out. We're recording a week before, but by the time this podcast goes out, uh, the first of these webinars will be, I guess, later that night. So, or tonight if you're listening currently <laughs> so this article i'm reading from is uh, was on january 29th and it, it says curesma to open series of career panel webinars on february 16th again i will read just a brief synopsis here uh the series sponsored by biogen opens february 16th at 7 p.m eastern the hour-long event will include a question and answer session and those interested are invited to submit inquiries while registering or via email to family support at curesma.org. Viewers will also be able to submit questions live. And uh, so the way this is going to work, there will be uh, four panelists for that first event on the 16th. Um, all of these are good friends of mine. Uh, Doug McCulloch, who is, he works at Johnson & Johnson, has SMA Type 3. Sandy Spoonamore, uh, who graduated from Baylor University and um, worked at, five, at Fortune 500 companies until 2001. She is now an independent sales, sales director with Mary Kay Cosmetics. Stephen Verdell is a graphic designer for NBC Universal and does freelance work in the entertainment industry. And then Angela Rigglesworth, who's also a good friend of mine, um, has been an elementary school teacher in Houston, Texas for 21 years. She's a member of several charity advisory boards. And she and her husband, Justin, recently launched the consulting company Cobble and Stone to help people with disabilities live successful and independent lives. Um, I am really excited about this program, and I can also announce that yours truly will be a panelist during the March event, um, so same kind of format 
where I'll be on there with several other panelists and, you know, we'll just be talking about our careers and, you know, encouraging other people in the SMA community to get out into the workforce. And I think especially now, again, even with all the uh, havoc that COVID has wrought, the one benefit is that remote work is becoming way more popular. And I think that provides a real great opportunity for people with disabilities. Um, And so I, you know, I really encourage people to join if, you know, not all of the webinars, one of them, I think it'll be really informative. And uh, again, there will be a Q&A aspect as well. So feel free to submit questions. And if nothing else, you get to hear me talk more in March, because I'm sure our listeners don't have enough of that. Um, (laughs) But I love hearing you, Kevin. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, Dania. Deanne. Um, I yeah, no, if Michael were here, he would have some snobby comments. So you know, it's, (laughs) we can actually encourage each other on during this. So (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, and I guess, Deanne, on that note, too, I know you and I have participated in many of the other virtual programs in the past year, particularly the adult socials and um, trivia. We also started a book book club recently, which I helped moderate. So um, anything you want to say about those programs or um, or this one, anything that Curious May has done recently? Well, I've been really impressed with Curious May, how they're um, reaching out to the adult community, mm-hmm. um, as well as their uh, teens and infants. Um, but yeah, the adult socials have been really fun. And I think um, in the last adult social, in one of our rooms, there were a handful of teachers. I was amazed at how many teachers there were and how many different career paths people have taken. So I think that career panel will be really interesting. I think so too. I'm really looking forward to it. And um, so again, if you're listening to this now, right when this episode goes live, the first uh, webinar is tonight. So uh, be sure to register for that. And, And again, if you can't make that one, we'll have more coming. Well, of the one in March. And so yeah, trying to make this PRE for Karis May. But uh, again, I do really support these programs and I think they add a lot of benefit um, to the SMA community. So I hope you can and join. It's a great somebody's. way to connect. It really is. And uh, what's cool is, again, as much as I miss in-person conferences and in-person events, uh, the benefit to doing a lot of these virtually is that I've seen people, because I've been involved with Karis May for years and years, even before it had that name back when it was Families at SMA. And what's really cool is that there have been people joining the adult socials and these other programs who previously had never been involved in anything in the SMA community in general. And, um, you know, for a lot of them, it's hard for them to travel. And this provides a great opportunity for them to actually connect and do it from the comfort of their own homes and meet new people. So it's been really encouraging to see. So if nothing else, COVID has brought actually made more connections for our community and it's really cool to see that so yeah awesome well that is our new segment for today uh before we continue if everyone can listen to one more word from our sponsor this podcast is made possible by a sponsorship from genentech are you living with sma or are you a caregiver for someone who is a treatment has been fda approved based on studies of different types of people living with sma Genentech extends a special thanks to all the individuals, families, and healthcare providers who participated in the studies that led to making this treatment option a reality. To learn more about this treatment, visit approvedforsma.com. 
Okay. Well, Deanne, um, before we get into columns as well, as I do, we have several one we want to touch on here. Um, just kind of wanted to do a general check-in with each other. I know we just talked about the community aspect with KSMA and, um, and how, you know, all the virtual stuff in the past year has actually really brought us closer together, and that's been great. But uh, for you personally, now that we are a, officially a year into this crazy pandemic, how are you coping just mentally and emotionally? I'm doing really well. Um, probably going a little stir crazy like everybody. Um, but I know last November I actually had COVID. Um, but thankfully my case was really mild. I got it through a caregiver and she her case was mild as well. So fortunate for that. Um, and I just got my uh, second dose of the vaccine last week. So now I'm kind of a little bit more ready to break out of hibernation, but still, you know, being cautious about it. Absolutely. I, you know, I mean, that's great. You got the vaccine and actually my mom just got her second dose yesterday. My dad gets his on Saturday. So actually by the time this episode goes out, he'll have had it. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting on mine. I'm not, not to get too political here, but I just, I'm really ready for that, um, you know, politicians out there to make us higher priority. I know, fortunately, you were able to get yours through your other job, because um, technically, I know you're... Do you, right. do you want to touch on that real quick, as far as, like, what you do outside of BioNews and how that actually helped you get the vaccine? Right. I Getting the vaccine had nothing to do with my disability, which I think it boggles my mind. Um, but I work part-time for an eye clinic, so technically, I... Uh, am considered a healthcare worker, um, so I was able to get the vaccine. Um, my next uh, flash briefing is on the vaccine, and I talk about how it really, the vaccine distribution, social inequities are really uh, present, and I think you have to really look for loopholes and be patient and be pushy and all of that to try and get a vaccine if you want one. It's really crazy. I mean, thankfully, my parents were able to get it because, like, my mom gets some caregiving hours um, for me. And so technically being, you know, a, it's, she's technically a state um, healthcare employee. That's how she got bumped up. But, uh, yeah, it is just, I mean, it is crazy that so many of us aren't able to get it that are in the high-risk community. Um, they're high-risk, but... I don't know. Hopefully, I know it's a it's a long, exhaustive process, but hopefully, we will be there very soon. Um, but I was just yep. curious too. Now that you had your second dose, did you feel any side effects? Because um, I, I know after the second one, like like my mom today, she just had. I mean, thankfully, she didn't get sick or anything, but she just did feel a lot more fatigued and um, her arms a little sore. But I was just curious if you had any side effects after that second dosing. Uh, the second one for me was even better than the first. Wow. My arm was sore for a few days after the first one, and this one it was barely noticeable. I didn't have any side effects. So uh, for me, it was really fine. But I know I have heard that even those who have already had COVID and get the vaccine, sometimes their symptoms are worse. Uh, for me, that wasn't the case at all. That's great. That's great. And that reminds me, I do want to mention as well that we also ran a news story um, a couple weeks ago that um, stating that, you know, research shows that 
the vaccine is not posing any serious risk to those with SMA or really any other rare diseases. Um, there have been case studies about that now. I know when it was first approved, there wasn't really a lot of information about that. But, um, and again, I'm not trying to like be biased here at all, but just from a you know scientific standpoint, that study is out there. So we'll link that article as well in the description um, if listeners want to go check that out because I do, I am going to encourage other people to take the vaccine. I don't think that's, <laughs> there's anything political behind that. I think that's, it's just something you should do if we want to get out of this pandemic. But, uh, but that's great though. I'm really glad that you have been vaccinated and you know, we're, there's finally a light at the end of the tunnel out of this, of this madness. So, um, that is really yeah. exciting. Deanna, I also want to ask you, and I know that we've touched on this before as well, and you've talked about it in your videos, but now that you've had Horton, your new service dog, for several months, I was just curious, what's it been like working with him now that you're primarily at home um, versus having one when you're not as isolated? Um, since, you know, you've had service dogs in the past, and this, I imagine, is a very different experience to be, you know, in hibernation mode for this long. So I was just curious what right. it's been like for you and Horton during this transition. There's definitely benefits and there are definitely drawbacks. Um, one benefit is that we've had more time to bond with each other mm -hmm. um, because I don't, there's not a lot of outside distractions or a lot of people coming in. Uh, it's been a lot easier to bond with him. Um, the drawback is that he doesn't wear his vest all the time and... <laughs> I don't know if it was the same for you with your service dog, but they definitely have a different demeanor when their vest is on. So getting that outside practice is really important. Um, so when I do start going on about, I will be a little more apprehensive than I was with my other service dogs, but I think it'll still be all right. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't even thought about when I was kind of phrasing this question because yeah, I remember, you know, when I got Pandy and early on when she was um, very active and working with me. Yeah, she totally did. It's almost like when you take the vest off and you're at home. Yeah, she goes into it's almost like she's taking off her work clothes, you know, I mean, um, it, it, like it, it is that like they know those dogs know that that means that they're on the job. And when they have the vest off, they can kind of be more relaxed and um, and at ease and everything. So that's really fascinating because, I mean, like, later on in life, you know, it wasn't as, um, there wasn't as big a difference later, like, after I graduated college and Pandy became more of a kind of a home dog, you know, a family dog, you know, um, she sort of retired. It didn't really matter. I would still put her vest on if I took her out somewhere, but, um, but in general, she was more the same mood, um, kind of consistently. But, um, but yeah, those early years, especially, yes, there was a big difference there. So that would, that'll be really interesting. I mean, do you ever, um, put his vest on even when you're just at home? I should more than I do. Um, it's a little bit difficult for me to do on my own. Sure. sure. Uh, so I, if I had someone put it on, he'd be kind of wearing it all day long. So I don't do that quite as often as I probably should. No, I mean, that makes sense. It's, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, a uh, uh, it's tough when you have like PCAs come at a certain time and then you're trying to balance that. So no, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. But yeah, wow. yeah, that will be really interesting though. I, you know, and, um, and I, like you said, I'm glad that you have that more time to bond at home. And I think it'll be really good for even when, you know, when things do get back to quote unquote normal, it'll be cool to, I think that bonding will be really foundational. Um, so even yeah. though it might be 
a little, may, maybe take him a little time to get used to getting out some more. I think it'll yeah. help that you're so accustomed to each other. So that, that'll be really cool. And I think, like I've said before, Horton is a little bit challenging mm-hmm. at times. So I think that bonding is definitely important. Yeah, definitely. That That's huge. Well, and um, and listeners, I'm sure, can look forward to Horton showing up in many more videos in the future. So um, just follow. Yeah, he was just in a recent one I did on the um, creating door pulls. So check that one out. Awesome. Awesome. That'll be great. And Deanne, I also want to, I know you're switching gears a little bit, but we, I, we mentioned this earlier that you did recently switch to a RISD. Um, so can you talk about A, how that process is going so far, and also what led you to make that decision to switch treatments? So far the treatment's going all right. Um, I have a little bit of some stomach issues with it that I'm kind of trying to work through. Um, so I'm not crazy about that aspect of it. Um, but I decided to switch. Um, it was a really difficult decision for me because I did very well with Spinraza. I mean, I didn't have leaps and bounds improvement, but enough improvement to notice. So it was hard to switch to something that I didn't know how it would work. Um, but because the whole, um, I guess, the process of getting the injection for me, I uh, have to set up the labs and I need transportation. I live three hours away, so I'd have to set up the labs, the transportation, the injection, and just that whole process for me was a little nerve-wracking and more than I cared to do every four months. so, and then of course, getting an injection in your spine isn't that much fun either. But um, that's kind of what led to me deciding to give Everest a try. Sure, sure. And I, you know, I think that's really important that um, it's very much up to. I, I, I've talked to other people who have switched, and, you know, I mean, I think that is the main reason people are is that obviously there's a huge convenience to taking a medication orally versus going in for a spinal injection even every few months. And um, it's still very much a personal decision. And I think you have to weigh the pros and cons yourself. And um, that leads me to my next question is, you know, do you have any advice for people who might be interested in pursuing a treatment for the first time or switching? You know, I mean, in terms of weighing those pros and cons and trying to figure out what works best for you, do you have any advice there? I would, if you're considering switching treatments, I would definitely make a list of what the pros and cons of the treatment you're on. And maybe if the cons outweigh the pros, then consider switching. Um, But definitely it's an individual's decision. And do your research and check into the medication and talk with your doctors and decide what's right for you. I think that's great advice. And yeah, I mean, like we said on... I mean, I mean, we've said many times on this show and on our all of our platforms here at SMA News Today, you know, like we're not in any way advocating for any one specific treatment or um, or are really going to like recommend um, what you should do. But it has to be very much a personal decision and something that you consult with your doctors and um, your family and friends and healthcare professionals about. Um, but yeah, and but I mean, I think, you know, we're... I, as a community here, we're always want to be supportive. And that's why, you know, for our forums community, you know, feel free to 
post questions there if you're thinking about switching or pursuing and you have questions and you just want to consult with other people in the SMA community, feel free to post there. We would love to kind of, again, not make decisions for you, but help you kind of figure out how to go about making that decision. And um, it is very personal. But no, for you, I'm really glad that um, it's going okay so far. I know the stomach issue has been a common side effect among others as well. Not everyone, but I know that's been one of the things. And from what I've heard from people who have been on a Brizzy for a while, it does calm down after a little bit, but it's one of those just kind of initial things that um, many have to deal with. And so um, it's something to that's, you know, that's among many factors to consider before going in, just like there are potential side effects with any treatment. And you have to kind of weigh those pros and cons and see what's best for you. And um, so it's just, it's a journey and it's a process, but um, you know, yeah, yeah. but, um, but that's great, Dan. So thank you for sharing. Awesome. Well, um, for the final part of the show today, I just wanted to highlight some of our recent columns We've got a lot of great ones on our main website here, and we have two new writers that I wanted to introduce, um, and I'll probably bring them on the show at some point. But um, the first is Sherry Toe. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing her last name right, um, but if I'm not, my apologies. But um, her new column is called Wandering the Lines, Our Journey into the Unknown. And I wanted to read this excerpt from it and then talk about it a little bit um, here on the show. But uh, she says about a little downward in the column, Try as we might to create ideals, boxes, and rules, humans are complicated, messy beings. I wish I could tell little Sherry that. I wish I could tell her that she'd find communities of people who felt like outsiders looking in and who were learning to be okay with their messiness, just like her. Um, I really love this piece. In many ways, it's sort of similar to the theme of my ongoing column, Embracing My Inner Alien, and how she talks about how when she was younger, you know, all she wanted was this sense of normalcy that she never got. And she uses examples of like, you know, being unable to go to movie premieres because um, she was coughing at home or, you know, always being looked at as weird and um, just this kind of like sense of being an outcast and how that frustrated her and she just wanted that sense of normalcy but over time she came to really accept herself and embrace herself and how SMA was an intrinsic became an intrinsic part of her identity and not something to be ashamed of um, but just something that is truly a part of her and it led her to a really beautiful community so I really love this column um, Deanne did you have any thoughts here? Yeah, I could really relate to her column as well, especially the part about not knowing where you fit in. Um, You don't really fit in over here, and you don't really fit in over there, and so you kind of feel a little bit alone. Uh, So I definitely made a connection with that. That's great, yeah. And also, it's really cool because, like, Sherry is from Singapore, and I'm real. that's why I'm really interested in, like, reading more of her columns because... I mean, I think all of our other columnists are American, and so I think that'll be, bring a really cool element. I'm curious to see, you know, like, what are experiences in her culture and how that difference, how that compares to ours, and, you know, do, but the similarities and differences there are really cool to see. And so um, I'm yeah. really looking forward to reading more of her columns. And um, so she had this one posted a few weeks ago. She wrote one last week about this video game and how it, um, it articulate or how it, uh, exemplifies disability culture and it reflects on that. So that was really cool. Um, Sherry's a huge nerd as well. So she fits right into our um, right. Bio News SMA f- News Today family. Uh, so 
definitely check out these. Again, I'm, I will link all of these articles um, in the description. So uh, read that one if you haven't already. Um, then the other new writer we have is Ari Anderson from my home state of North Carolina. Uh, he's 38 and his column is titled Soaring with Hope, Welcome Aboard. And um, I really had fun with this column as well. I actually, I read it in its entirety for a flash briefing a few weeks ago. And um, he uses this analogy of like being on a plane and, you know, he's captain of the flight, kind of sort of like his journey through life with SMA and um, talking about like the ups and downs of it. And um, so I'll read just this excerpt here. He says, as captain of this flight, it is up to me to be honest about my journey. The good news is that in 34 of the 38 years, I've only been admitted to the hospital twice. The bad news is that this doesn't mean that I don't get plenty of respiratory infections. How is this possible? The answer will start you off on the launch pad of getting to know me. Um, so I really love that analogy and I, it's a, it was really creative and uh, it, was, it was fascinating to learn. I mean, Ari has type one, like I said, he lives right here in North Carolina uh, and he'll be talking all about just his ups and downs of life with SMA and, you know, both medical and just daily life and what it's like working with caregivers and how he manages health issues and avoids um, high hospitalizations and all of these things. So it's, I'm really looking forward to this one as well. Uh, Dan, did you have any thoughts on this intro column? Yeah, I can really relate to this one as well, especially, um, I think there's a line in there that says, when I get sick, I get sick. Yep. Or get really sick. And yep, that's me for sure. But he also points out that he knows how to deal with it when it happens and he has to take action right away and he knows what he needs to do. And that's kind of when an average person gets a cold, it's just like, okay, whatever, you know, but for someone like us, it's really important to know what to do so it doesn't get worse. So I really related to that aspect of this article. Absolutely. It was, and, and it was fascinating. I, I mean, I was a little taken back by that line, just, just from knowing that he's type one and 38, that he had been only been hospitalized just a couple times. That's really astounding, but it, it, it also points to, you know, um, he's kind of like, I, I think as SMAers, we're kind of masters of figuring, even when we're really sick, we're masters of knowing how to take care of ourselves. And um, we yeah. know how to go into battle mode and, you know, when there's an illness and um, how to take all the right precautions. And so not saying that like there's any universal way um, for combating these things. It varies person to person. But that was really fascinating, too. And I'm I'm sure he'll have, you know, plenty of examples of, like, medical stories and other, like I said, just examples of daily living as his column goes on. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. Um, yeah, so. I'm looking forward to getting to know the new columnist. Absolutely. It's real. I mean, it's it's crazy to think, like, when I started here a f almost four years ago, I it was me and Bree were the only column. Bree was the first one. I came on shortly after... And then Michael Kasten, who actually, just for our listeners out there, Michael Kasten did recently resign, um, not for any animosity here, just because um, he and his family just had um, a lot of responsibilities. And he unfortunately had to um, step down to lighten his load a bit. But I did check in with him recently, and he's doing well. So for anyone wondering why his column stopped that, you know, so um, don't worry, he wasn't cut loose or anything. It was, that was a personal decision, but, uh, but he is doing well, so... Um, yeah, but, um, you know, once he left, then we brought on Ari and Sherry, and yeah, it's great to get new perspectives, and, um, I think we have a really diverse community of columnists, 
um, and also with the forums. And so it's really cool to see just how much content we're putting out, how many stories there are, and people to get to know. So, you know, I encourage all listeners out there, check out um, all the great content we have on SMA News Today. So um, There's always something in everybody's article that it seems like you can relate to, so... It really is. I mean, that's the fascinating thing of like, uh, and I actually, I posted one column, I, pos- I posted a column today about the book Disability Visibility, which is what we read for the Cure SMA book club. And I talked about there how there were stories in there that I found so relatable and that like where I could um, relate to those experiences and to those feelings. And then others that were more eye-opening than relatable. And that's what I'm finding too with um uh, you know our community here is that they're like i think there's definitely something in every column that comes out and every story that i can relate to some aspect but it's also really cool to see a really diverse range of perspectives and backgrounds that um make it really eye-opening for me to read these stories so like even though we have sma there are absolutely like you said relatabilities and also really uh, like things that i've never experienced and feelings that exactly. I haven't even and so it's so fascinating to um connect that way and you know and yeah absolutely yeah Ari's I'm really looking forward to and then the last column I wanted to touch on um actually one more I wanted to mention before I it's it's always hard when we do these episodes I have to pick like three columns just for right because for like time sake but if we had hours and hours I would love to go through like every column we post and um talk about each one in their entirety but i know we don't have the time for that and um listeners probably don't want to hear me talk for that long but um but there was one i wanted to mention where halsey did one um a few weeks ago where she interviewed my friend amber uh, who is a life coach with sma that was a really fascinating interview um and i encourage people to check that one out as well um it was just a really good conversation about what it's like being a life coach with sma and helping other people with and without disabilities she does she just started this business about a month ago, and Halsey gave a really good interview with her. So I encourage. That was one I was oh, like almost put here, but I had to just like pick three, and it was hard. But I, I did want to give a shout out to that one because it was great. Yeah, that was a good one too. Absolutely. Uh, but the last one I wanted to touch on to end um, this segment was um, written by Bree uh, Brianna Albers, and it was um, titled "Who I Am: My Journey from Internal to Ableism to Belonging." And this is something that it's a common theme in like all of her column, all of Bree's columns where she talks about how, you know, growing up, she was very isolated socially. She, uh, she was very, um, she did not really engage socially and felt kind of like, um, what we're talking before, like when, when Sherry talked about having that kind of internal shame to her disability and it made her really anxious about, um, branching out and interacting with people around her. Bree goes into really vulnerable detail in this column. It's a really beautiful piece. Um, But I love this excerpt in particular where she says, Of course, I was young and dumb, but ableism is never benign. Ableism is insidious and toxic, and in many cases lethal. Ableism is destructive to its core, and was all too happy to warp my childhood into one of loneliness and isolation. And that one just, like, really, like, stung me. Um, You know, talking a minute ago about how there are ones that were columns that are relatable and kind of eye-opening at the same time. This one, for me, was, like, I mean, I've definitely had struggles with, like, my how I view my disability. But at the same time, I've always been a really social person and and very extroverted and, like, 
I was, I had many friend groups growing up. And so like, I never really felt that my disability interfered with that. But at the same time, there was still that, um, isolation I felt when things like, um, you know, when it got to junior and senior year of high school and friends were going off campus for lunch, like little things like that, that I couldn't participate in and made me feel a little bit isolated. I didn't feel it to this extent, but, um, but I just, I love how Bree points to the fact that ableism can be within the disability community as well. And it can really, it can, like she said, it can be so harmful because how you view yourself and your disability impacts how you interact with others. And I loved how vulnerable she was in this piece. And um, it was, you know, like really touching and moving and how she talked about how she went from that, you know, mentality to now being a part of the SMA community and, you know, um, spreading her wings and being more open to um, just accepting herself and branching out into the world. So I really love this one. And um, yeah, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it does. It takes a long time to figure out who you are and where your place is. And that internal ableism, you know, I don't belong with this group or I don't belong with that group is, you know, it does um, hinder what you could be, I guess. Yeah. You could say. And once you're okay with who you are, that does open up a lot of possibilities for yourself. It really does. And, and I mean, I think this is something even like people outside the disability community can relate to him. Just that, uh, like everyone, I think goes at it, regardless of what social class you are, like in middle and high school, I think everyone goes through some amount of self-esteem issues and anxiety and trying to fit it in and figure out who you are. That's such a human thing. And yes, I think it can be exacerbated in many ways when you are disabled and you're dealing with like, like you said, internalized, internalized ableism that is a reflection of the ableism in society. But at the same time, it is such a universal thing. And um, so I would just encourage really anyone out there who may be feeling that really read Bree's column about this because it is it's it's so vulnerable, so honest and raw, and it speaks to the heart. And I think it will um, many in this community will find it relatable. And if you're struggling through that, you know, know that you're not alone. It's very common to feel, have those feelings and, um, just don't be hard on yourself. And, you know, like I said, the forums community and plenty of other communities out there for SMAers, um, you know, just talk with other people in the community. That's what really, that's, you know, for me, that was such a big part of me, um, changing my attitude toward my disability was when I started reaching out to other people with SMA and getting advice and um, and consultation there and forming those relationships. So um, I would definitely, yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, again, an another little plug for our forums, but we it's something we would love to have you and share, you know, talk yeah, about that. Yeah, it's a great community. It really is. Uh, awesome. Well, uh, Deanna, is there anything else? You, I know we, that was a pretty packed episode and I, I, I this was some a really great conversation, but, um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on either columns or anything else that we missed here? Yeah, I think we covered quite a bit. Uh, Michael will be sad he missed it, but he's the science guy. So keep tuned to what his, uh, videos and roundtable discussions that in the future. Absolutely. Well, definitely, like I said, when uh, our, uh, he and I both work in management here at BioNews. And so, like I said, it's been a very busy year so far ever since um, we got back from the holiday break. And so 
Um, I know he's been swamped lately, but uh, but still putting out his videos. And so we'll definitely have him back on the podcast in the near future and um, check, catch up with him. And yeah, like Dan said, I, 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 I did the best job I could today summarizing up the news, more scientific stories, but he does a much, much better job than I do. So we'll have more well, of that, we'll I'm see, sure. We'll see how he pronounces that new drug. I, I'm curious about that as well. We'll have to have like, to, like each have a go at pronunciation and then maybe Scholar Rock can tell us who's more accurate, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and that's, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to interview them just, and same with, um, with Genentech. I'm like, how do they come up with these names? Again, I'm, I know there is some kind of logic behind it, but I would love to be a part of that, uh, but like a fly on the wall when companies name these drugs, it would be fascinating, but. Well, maybe yeah. the more difficult the name, the better it works. I guess so. Maybe. I mean, let's hope for that. <laughs> uh, hey, that's, I One mean. I can hope, right? I mean, if that's the case, then I think Scholar Rock definitely takes the case, at least in my opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is when Zolgensma was named and we kept saying like Zolgen SMA, but like, <laughs> or like Zolgen or something like that. Well, but... I, I pronounced my last name Rungi, so I was saying Zolgensma. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. no. I guess it's Zul Jensma. We'll go with that. <laughs> I mean, it your guess is as good as mine. We're all, we all, it'll usually like, we'll pronounce it wrong for three years and then someone will finally correct us. But, uh, yeah. but hey. Yeah. All uh, right. Well, Deanne, hey, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great episode as always. And for our listeners out there, you can find more conversations and stories like this by subscribing to this podcast. And as I mentioned, our other platforms, Check out our main site, our forums, our YouTube channel. We are all over the place, and we're always working to bring you the latest news, information, perspectives in the SMA community. And we would love for you to be a part of our forums community So and to follow us on social media. So, um, again, thank you for all, all for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com and be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.